This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Welcome Welcome to Nothing Nothing Happens in a Small Town. So last time around, we talked about the lovely, wonderful Betty White. I I guess we just aren't allowed to talk about beloved people. Yeah, because she sadly has passed away. And I know that she lived a very wonderful, full life, but we still love her and miss her. I think, was it Ryan Reynolds probably put it best, that whole thing, lived a really long life, but somehow not quite long enough. Yes. Because she's just so beloved. And I mean, she started out all those years entertaining people. Mm -hmm. She was in, uh, she served in World War II, then just, she married a pilot. Mm Mm-hmm. And then just years and years and years of entertaining us. Mm-hmm. And she was definitely an animal lover. And um, she had, I don't even know how many but dogs, but she right. had lots of dogs. And, and little kitty cats, too. Mm-hmm. And she was a trailblazer in many ways. Yeah. Uh, I remember reading about one of the shows that she had ended up getting uh, cut off rather quickly after she was... Who was the um, African-American tap dancer? Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, a trailblazer. People said, no, give him less airtime. She's like, "Hmm, give him more. More, yeah. That just, to me, that just epitomizes how freaking awesome she she was. Yeah. People are going to say is because she wasn't supposed to die. (laughs) You know, we talked about somebody was supposed to keep her in a bubble. Yeah. All right. You didn't do your job. Had one job. (laughs) (laughs) Keep Betty White in a bubble and you failed. She probably burst out of the bubble herself. She She was never afraid of dying. It was all of us not wanting to continue to be. We wanted to continue to be entertained by her. Yes. What a snappy wit. She's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So we will we will miss her and you know unfortunately um she didn't make it to 2022 um and I've seen a couple of memes going around and it kind of had me giggle cuz it was um something about you know she took 2021 down with her <laughs> it, it wasn't her passing away it was her extracting 2021 from the <laughs> pits of Mordor or something I was cracking me up I was like oh my gosh okay yeah and I've probably watched one too many just you know funny clips and stuff and actually Mm -hmm. the thing that made me laugh the most is two of my favorite SNL skits are the NPR skits the one with her Mm -hmm. the dusty muffins and then oh you've got to see that one yeah. But I laugh because we're doing this podcast, and every time we sit here with the microphones, uh-huh. I think of those two doing their little thing on uh, the NPR SNL skit. Mm-hmm. The best one, um, still to me, is the sweaty balls. With, <laughs> I do remember you know that. that but yeah. you've got to see the dusty muffin okay. one. Okay. It's hilarious. And you know, Betty White had the best timing yeah. and facial expressions to go with what they were saying. It's all along the same lines as the sweaty ball thing. Ooh, I love your muffin. <laughs> I, I can definitely picture them. Yeah, she's... They're a little, hmm, salty. <laughs> it was just awful. 
awful. But awesome. I bet. Um, so it is now 2022. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year. Um, and hopefully 2022 is a better year for everybody. I sure hope so. I mean, the past couple of years have been just, I mean, life is always strange and different. Yes. But these last two years, I mean, who have been obscene? I mean, yeah. it's just craziness. I mean, what kind of things have we done together? Because, you know, we say we're sisters. Yeah. This is um, one of the few places I go besides work. Right. And Pilates. It's like, that's it. My life is home, Pilates, work, and Melissa's house. Yeah. Like, let's see. What have we done? We went and got our, well, that was, was that this year? It was this year that we went and got our, our shots together. We yeah. Car- we masked carpooled up to the BWI, a BWI, list me, the Raven Stadium. Right. Right. For our uh, shots. And we got our, yeah, we got our, our shots together. And then, uh, yeah, that was probably one of the first times we'd seen each, each other. other. Yeah. Yeah. Because 2020, we didn't go anywhere. Right. I mean, it was I mean, just I went places, knows. but I went in my travel trailer. Because yeah. we have a travel trailer, which means, hey, let's shirk other people even more. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just, we used the rest areas to stop. And then we went and used our own bathroom. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those, hey, I'm already, we're already there and ready for securely staying away from people. <laughs> what can I say? I like people, but yeah. I like them over there. Yes. You don't need to be over here. Here is me. Over there is you. Awesome. Yeah. And right now, the numbers have been going up with that Insanely. stupid Omicron variant thing that's going around and i mean it's like we're 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 in maryland and i think the numbers have been in well they haven't we they haven't updated anything on the website since friday okay and it just was going in this huge bell curve i know you all can't see me i talk with my hands so melissa is watching me talk with my hands it's (laughs) awesome (laughs) um but yeah the numbers have been going up for us i think they've been going up across the board yeah, in I the mean, US. I mean, I pass a testing site every time I come home from Pilates, and so it's right near the tower on three. Mm-hmm. It was backed up all the way to the light at the Aldi's. Mm-hmm. So past Royal Farms. Oh, so that's two lights, which is, you know, on three, pretty long distance. Well, and the the one day that I had to go to patient first and then to the Ugh. ER, I mean, it was packed, and it was just like, and this was a what two two weeks two weeks ago yeah Yeah. because we were a week late with our christmas episode because you were just having so much fun yeah going to patient first (laughs) in the er got there at i think 9 a.m and i didn't leave till almost 9 p.m and And didn't get an answer until a couple days later with our doctor yeah it's awesome yeah which i mean i have i have weirdisms because i have something called Ehlers Stanlow syndrome and it's just it's just one of these things I have some weirdisms that happen but you the, know it, it's the, frustrating too I was just gonna say phantom pain it's not phantom pain it's no, real pain yeah. but pain that comes out of nowhere like a phantom gave it to you yeah because it's like that's where my mind associates it somehow like a phantom somehow you've randomly got a pain that you're like what the heck could that be yeah I don't know <laughs> and it's freaking me out so yeah yeah and it got really bad and it turned out just to be a pulled muscle, but it's in a weird place and it just, 
it was I exacerbated it exacerbate I can't words words yep <laughs> exacerbate exacerbated it by doing laundry and cleaning and stuff and you wouldn't think that would make something 10 times worse but it did it does. Yeah. It Especially with um, your abdomen or your back. I remember yeah. when I was having problems with my lower back and they're like, no laundry. And I'm just like, well, other than taking it up and down the stairs, like, no, no, no. Don't reach into the washing machine. I'm like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes that sense. That does make sense. <laughs> but for whatever reason, your brain doesn't put that together unless, I mean, maybe other brains do. This right. brain didn't. Nah. And, yeah. you know, I kind of, I haven't. I was told not to do stuff like that too, you know, for, for this until it heals. And I will admit I've been doing laundry the last couple of days, but lady. I'll be honest, it, it's not hurting. So I'm kind of trying to do light, but yeah, we'll see. I know I'm giving you a look, but guess who would be the first person who also would do the same thing? Uh-huh. Me. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You know. You, you you get used to doing things and you just kind of go, no, I'm doing this. I'm doing and this thing. Gosh darn yeah. it. I, I am at least later. on a break from Pilates for a month just to give myself time to heal. And then I plan to go back right. if hopefully things are not as crazy. Yeah. Well, so. you know, we're not that I ever stopped wearing a mask in Pilates because I'm like, uh, no. Um, and it is a relatively small place. As in, not many people can be there at a time anyway. But yeah, back to full-time masking, Yeah, even while you're doing it. I'm telling you, one of these days when I don't have to wear a mask, or when I decide I no longer have to wear a mask, because you know <laughs> I'm going to wear my mask for a hell of a lot longer than it's required. Yeah. Just because, I mean, we go where we go to work, there's a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. So it, I just feel it's safest to be the person who doesn't bring it other places. Mm -hmm. But anyhow... And if you just heard a little grumble, that was Dylan. Dylan. He is here with us today. So you may hear a bark or some pitter-patter of little feet or something. He's looking really pathetic on my lap yeah. right now. He's He's been jumping back and forth between us <laughs> for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Well, if you want to. I did take a little video. It's about 30 seconds. It's you can look funny. at it. Maybe we'll, yeah. we might post it we if might. we decide we're okay with it. Yep. I'll post pictures anyway. So we are going to give our New Year's episode today, and this is a murder that happened back uh, in uh, 1964 on New Year's Eve, and this is in Watertown, New, New York. Uh, the population there is 25,622. It sounds <laughs> like, based on all the reading, that it was a very small town feel um everybody kind of knew everybody type of thing and well, even today at twenty five thousand people is not that much it's not but it's it's a pretty up and coming as in like uh, a lot of millionaires in the town hmm. so it's actually t in today's date and age it's a very posh location but huh. yeah. back then yeah you know it's the 60s so most of the information i got on the case I got out of this book. It's called The Jefferson County Egan, Murder, Egan Murders, Nightmare on New Year's Eve, 1964 by Dave Champagne and Daniel Boyer. And I'm just call him Champagne. Yeah. We just had New Year's. Sorry. I know <laughs> I know it's like Champagne, but... Champagne. Or Champagne. champagne. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, Mr. Champagne. 
champagne, champagne, <laughs> champagne. What is champagne. it with us and words and I names? I know. It's like, I need, I need, we need stories that the names are all like Smith and then we're going to find <laughs> out they were really Smythe. Right. Yeah. Yes. So anyhow, um, on New Year's Eve of 1964, the bodies of Peter W. W. Egan Jr., who is 27, his wife, Barbara Ann, who is 24, and brother, his brother, um, Gerald Francis, who is 19, uh, they were found slain gangster style with two shots in the back of their heads they were found in a rest area two miles north of watertown on interstate 81 and at the time interstate 81 had was still being built yes it's like stops right after this rest stop rest stop yes so it's bizarre that it, anybody was here right it, the, it really made no sense that they were there um the egan brothers were found at about 9.30 p.m. New Year's Eve, slumped over the front seat of their 1955 Mercury station wagon, while Mrs. Egan was found face down on the right side of the car, her hair in rollers. Their Pekingese dog was found unharmed in the car. The FBI investigated because all three had a record for car theft, drugs, and local burglaries. Super nice people. Oh, yeah. A stolen vehicle had been found outside of Watertown in a barn. The Egans were the primary suspects for the theft of the car. Um, there were some ev- there was some evidence that the Egans had even stolen from their partners in crime. Um, so, on December thirty first, nineteen sixty four, Bill and Beverly J were driving to New Year's Eve New Year's Eve gathering. Uh, Bill stopped at a rest area. The, they were the first to come across the gruesome scene. He parked behind a blue 1955 Mercury station wagon sometime around 9.20 p.m. He noticed something lying on the side of the station wagon. When he walked over to check it out, he found a woman lying face down in the grass, re- in the grass resting perpendicular to the car. Her head was about a foot and a half from the vehicle. She had large... A large patch of blood surrounding her head. Um, Bill then walked around to the driver's side. The windows were fogged over, so he opened the door. Two men were seated upright but lifeless. A small dog covered in blood was barking excitedly, jumping around. Poor, Poor dog. <laughs> Too bad he couldn't, you know, we didn't have any dog tell whispers him, or anything. Yeah, couldn't tell him who did it. Um, so Bill did not touch anything. He closed the door and he and his he told his wife what he saw and they drove away from the crime scene. This being a time of no cell phones, they were in search of a phone. The town was quiet. The local diner was closed. Finally, the couple came across a house with a light on. They stopped and asked to use the phone. Troopers found the dead woman wearing Kelly green stretch pants, a darker green imitation suede coat that with a turned up collar and one snow boot. Her long brown hair was in curlers. Initial examination of the body revealed at least one bullet wound to the head. As one of the troopers opened the door to the station wagon, he found the dog crouched up on top of the front seat's backrest, paws resting on the shoulder of one of the victims. The dog had to be distracted before the troopers could carry on with their investigation. Kind of like I'm trying to distract little Mr. Dillon right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, both men were wearing dark winter jackets, sport shirts, and trousers. The victim in the passenger seat was leaning across a padded wooden crutch. The man had a crude wooden leg strapped to the stump of his left thigh. This was Peter Egan, who is husband to Barbara Egan. The driver was 19-year-old Gerald Egan. The trio was well known to the police in the area for their history of arrests. Dr. William Hall Jr., a 46-year-old general practitioner, responded to the scene, serving as attending physician on behalf of District Attorney Angus Saunders, who is acting county coroner. Dr. Hall determined that all three victims had been shot twice in the back of their heads. He concurred with the trooper's belief that the killer or killers were backseat passengers. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Bullet holes in their right, in the right lower corner of the windshield, as well as a chip in the rear view mirror, possibly from a bullet fragment, supported their theory. Gerald Egan was shot once in the right temple with a 25 caliber bullet passing through his brain and skull and becoming embedded in the flesh near his right elbow. Eyebrow. Eyebrow. Elbow. <laughs> Slightly different parts of the body. But hey, you know, they both start with an E. Yeah. A through and through wound in his right hand indicated a defensive action as the discharge projectile slammed into his temple. A second shot entered the back of his neck and exited out of his left eye. Awesome. Yeah. Two shots were fired from a twenty-five caliber weapon into Peter Egan's left ear. One of the small bullets exited from his right cheek, while the second crossed through his skull, exiting on his right ear. It appeared he had turned to look toward the back seat. He most likely saw the murder weapon pointing at him. The police determined the bullet holes in the windshield were created by a thirty-eight caliber gun. As Mrs. Egan felled by a thirty-eight, the police believed that she attempted to run, and three quick shots were fired at her from inside the car, missing their target. So either one guy, two guns, or two perpetrators. Yeah. Uh, Barbara's body shown signs of struggle. She had multiple cuts and bruises, particularly on her right foot, left knee, and lower back. Near her body were her hair curlers, two quarters, a dime, several pennies, and S&H green stamps. A possible blow to the head with a blunt object might have caused a deep cut to the bone behind her right ear, resulting in the separation of the skull from the bridge of her nose. Ouch. The gash left some brain tissue exposed. There were also three fingernail punctures on her right wrist leading to the assumption that her killer had grabbed her. Not pleasant. Um, It was determined she was shot while someone was pursuing her. Uh, A 38 caliber discharge entered her left ear and continued out of her right ear. The second shot was a contact wound on the top of her head, exiting near her left ear. She was then dragged from the roadway, leaving streaks of blood on the pavement. Robbery was not a motive. Uh, her purse was left in the back seat of the car and contained cash in the car's registration in her name. Peter had $15 in his wallet. 
Um, and as stated before, there were two guns used in this. So that was kind of the police concluded that um, it was probably two killers. And we say that, you know, robbery wasn't a motive. Uh, simple robbery of their persons was definitely not a motive. Right. Because they were burglars and stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different ideas as to what the motive might be. Right. So that was nice and gruesome. Yeah. And now for one of our factoids. Is it an interesting fact? Is it a fun fact? You tell us. <laughs> um, so we mentioned that uh, Barbara had some S&H green stamps. Um, most people my age and younger don't really know what the hell those are. I know I hadn't heard of them until eh, in the last year or so. They were a line of trading stamps popular in the United States from 1896 until the late 1980s. They were distributed as part of a rewards program operated by the Sperry and Hutchinson Company, otherwise known as S&H, founded in 1896 by Thomas Sperry and Shelley Byron Hutchinson. During the 1960s, the company promoted its rewards catalog as being the largest publication in the United States and boasted that it issued three times as many stamps as the U.S. Postal Service. Customers received stamps at the checkout counter of supermarkets, department stores, and gas stations, among other retailers, that could be redeemed for products in the catalog. Top value stamps uh, acquired by Tom Ficarra, Wait a second. Yeah. In 1990, and now a division of the TVS Television Network and SNH are the only two surviving legacy stamp programs as of the 90s. Um, they actually are now not worth anything. There was a buyback time that you could actually still get money from these. So um, Sperry and Hutchinson began offering the stamps to U.S. retailers in 1896. As I said before, the retail organizations that distributed the stamps were primarily as I said before, the supermarkets and gas stations. They bought the stamps from S&H and gave them as bonuses to shoppers based on the dollar amount of purchases. The stamps were issued in denominations of 1, 10, and 50 points, perforated with a gummed reverse just like the old-fashioned stamps where you lick them and stick them on something. As shoppers accumulated the stamps, they motioned the reverse and mounted them on collector's books, which were provided by, for free by S&H. The books contain 24 pages, and filling a page required 50 points, so each book contained 1,200 points. Shoppers could then exchange filled books for premiums, including housewares and other items, from the local green stamp store or catalog. Each premium was assigned a value expressed by the number of the stamp, uh, filled stamp books required to obtain it. So the green stamps were one of the first retail loyalty programs by which retailers purchased the stamps from the operating company and then gave them away at a rate determined by the merchant. Some shoppers would choose one merchant over another because they gave out more stamps per dollar spent. The program had its greatest popularity during the mid-60s, but a series of recessions during the 70s decreased sales of the green stamps and the stamp programs of other competitors. The value of the rewards declined substantially during the same period, requiring either far more stamps to get a worthwhile item or spending money 
for an item that was barely discounted from the price at regular stores, creating a general downward spiral as fewer and fewer people saw them as work worth the trouble. And like I said, somewhere in the last 10 to 20 years, I, I couldn't find the exact, like an exact date, but there was a period of time where they were offering something for accumulated stamp books and yeah. that time has passed. I remember there was a Facebook group I'm on that uh, this one lady was just, uh, she, she was having the hardest time with her elderly mother trying to get rid of, you know, trying to reduce her spending. And one of the things she had is she had this storage unit with old paperback books that are worth nothing and hmm. tons of these green stamp books. Hmm. And she was just sure she's sitting on this fortune and her daughter's like, how do I tell my mother it's worth zip zilch <laughs> and for her to actually believe me oh boy and you're like because you know how that can be yep people get just something in their mind mm -hmm. nope this is worth a lot of money like no you missed it <laughs> there is a period of time in which you could get something still re reduced amount but something for those books huh. nothing now yeah but they're kind of a thing so back to the Egan murders. Uh, the highway was still under construction, as we had talked about, um, and ended two miles north, which lead, led to an interesting fact. Why were they there at that rest stop? A possibility is that the Canadian border was about 30 miles away. The Egans may have been engaging in international transport of narcotics. So like we said before, it, I mean, maybe it was they were illicit drugs maybe somebody stole from them but they weren't stealing right their personal property the only known witness to the murders was queenie the little dog covered Aww. in blood but queenie couldn't talk any hope that she might have helped to identify her owner's killers was lost when she was struck by a car only two weeks later she had been living with an aunt of the egan's poor little poochie just did not have a good nope. couple of weeks there uh, Barbara Egan, 25 years old, was the daughter of Raymond C. Vout. He worked at Northrop Motors, a Ford dealership on Arsenal Street in Watertown. Barbara had been described as cute, sweet, smart, personable, and athletic. In high school, she was a good girl, never swore and never stole. She was a cheerleader and a saxophonist in the school band, played field hockey, and was a member of a library club. She was popular and made friends easily, although a friend mentioned she could be snooty. I know, pretty girls can do that. The union between Barbara and Peter perplexed her classmates they saw her act totally out of character with him barbara met peter through her friend who was dating a friend of peter's she was attracted to his bad boy persona after that meeting they were seen together frequently including many high school dances where he stood out like a sore thumb because he was so much older and he know, also only i, I think he, had, he was time, missing he yeah. was missing yeah part, part of, of his, his leg, leg. Uh, as time went on, Barbara spent less and less time with her friends and more and more time with Peter and his friends. She started drinking, smoking marijuana, and even taking some of Peter's prescribed pain medication. Her friends all thought he was corrupting her. She started letting herself go. Once known as the prettiest girl at school, she was now rough and hardened. That's just sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can never know what's inside somebody's mind. Because, you know, they say, oh, he... He's the one who uh, 
messed with her maybe she was always a little off and we just didn't know it she was living a a double life but yeah that whole bad boy thing uh peter egan had a long criminal history he was arrested at 13 and he was charged in a car theft investigation when he was around 18 years old he had been a suspect in a burglary case new york state police had a warrant out for his arrest but the charges were dropped on accountability account of his disability on february 17th 1957 near winnemucca nevada he had hitchhiked a ride trying to make it back to the to watertown that's a really really long distance by the way yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just it, it amazes me the 60s and hitchhiking yeah he could easily have made it all the way back but that's a really long way it is Uh, The car he was riding in went off a road and crashed. He was ejected and suffered fractures in both legs, his shoulder, and his back. After being in Nevada hospital for three weeks, he was transported to Syracuse, where he was met by his parents. Examination at Watertown's Mercy Hospital revealed that gangrene had developed, forcing an amputation of his left leg above the knee on March 11, 1957. Oof. Peter and Barbara were married on July 3rd, 1958 at Stone Street Presbyterian Church in Watertown. Barbara had graduated weeks ago from Adams Center High School and was employed at the W.T. Grant Department Store in Watertown. They had three boys together. The first was born in 1959, the second in 1962, and the last in 1963. Peter and Barbara settled into gypsy-like existence, moving from residence to residence, often because of non-payment of rent. Barbara even used her children to steal for them. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. Um, one time stealing one right shoe from a shoe store. The salesperson was baffled, not knowing of her husband's disability. <laughs> Let's just steal one shoe. Yes. You know. Maybe steal the pair because it'd be less obvious who did it. Possibly, but, you know. Yeah, know. <laughs> there was a rumor that Barbara had turned to pro- prostitution to help pay for things, and Peter was her pimp. She was also charged in forgery in, fes- in a charge in a forgery investigation. investigation. Words. Uh, she pled guilty to a lesser charge and was sentenced to probation. It is believed that Barbara got wrapped up in this relationship and didn't know how to get out. Her husband was known to have, he would bat her around once in a while. In other words, he beat her. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Peter and Barbara were receiving public assistance, their only known source of income. However, Peter was seen with wads of cash and often buying drinks for others at local bars. Early in 1963, they were removed from welfare rolls due to them being under investigation for several burglaries and thefts. Rumors spread that their deaths were a mafia hit. It was clear that the Egans had made several possible enemies. On the last afternoon of their lives, the Egan brothers met with some of their friends, including Joe Leone, who you're going to hear more about in a little bit. Uh, They plotted a liquor truck heist. None of the people that got together had jobs at the time. So Awesome. Let's... Great group of people. Yeah. As far as I know, I don't think they actually take you off public assistance anymore if you've got... I mean, because they have kids. Right. It's just one of those things that pops through my mind, of course. It's like... Because there have been discussions, I know, um, 
of people saying, oh, if somebody uses drugs or something else, they shouldn't get assistance. And you're like, nobody should starve. Right. But at the same time, we should incarcerate those who do bad things. Like, I don't know. Stealing, dealing drugs. Well, I I was just looking at the liquor truck heist. Liquor truck heist, yeah. Or mafia, you know, all that other fun stuff. You do illegal activity, great. But you still should be able to eat and feed your kids. Yeah. Well, true to me, I can't help myself. We have to talk about the town. That's just who I am. So Watertown is a city in the U.S. in the state of New York and the county seat of Jefferson County. It's situated approximately 25 miles south of the Thousand Islands and along the Black River, about five miles east of its mouth at Lake Ontario. So yes, very close to Canada. It lies 180 miles northwest of Albany and 328 miles north of New York City. As of the 2020 census, it had a population of 24,685. The U.S. Army post Fort Drum is nearby the city. It was long part of the territory of the Iroquois Native American tribe. In historic times, the Onondaga and the Mohawk had also occupied the area. After the American Revolutionary War, they and other Iroquois nations were forced to cede most of their land to the United States under the terms of peace mediated by Great Britain. Awesome. More of the stealing of the land from the American Indians. Or Native Americans. Excuse me. I am old. Uh, The U.S. sold the land for development, mostly to migrants from New England. So, interesting. It was named after the many falls on the Black River. The city developed early in the 19th century as an industrial and manufacturing center. From years of uh, generating industrial wealth by the 20th century, the the city is is said to have more millionaires per capita than any other city in the nation. Fun fact, when we lived in Omaha, I remember hearing that same thing being said about Omaha, Hmm. because in Omaha, all the banking centers and what have you, you can thank um, Offutt Air Force Base. Warren Buffett lived there. Yep. He still lives there. Yep. He still lives there. Yeah. That that area, um, because it's in the center of the country, it's deemed uh, the most secure from like... uh, attack from a foreign power mm-hmm. so that's why strategic air command was there and they had a uh, a lot of places will have their secondary networks they had a very strong internet bound backbone and that's why there's so many like insurance and banking companies mm-hmm. in omaha so i just i found that very intriguing because i'm like i remember hearing it on the news one night that we had the most so watertown or omaha who has more millionaires right. per capita might have to check that one out. So um, geographically, it is located in the central part of Jefferson County. It lies 70 miles north of Syracuse and 31 miles south of the Ontario border. The city is served by Watertown International Airport. I can only imagine that's not that big. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well, we had a little airport in Kiwani. So, right. yep. The city claims to be the origin of the five and dime store and the safety pin, hmm. and it is the home of Little Trees Air Fresheners. Um, I've yeah. had several of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have. Yeah. 
It manufactured the first portable steam engine, and my brain goes, how big is portable? It holds the red and black football franchise, the oldest surviving semi-professional team in the United States, and the Huffy Company, maker of bicycles and sporting goods, also began its life in Watertown. I had to laugh about the red and black football franchise, because even though I watch plenty of football, I had never heard of them before. No, I've never. And it's like, mm. they're boasting this, and I'm like, and that is what? What? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Wait, what five and dime store started in Watertown? Actually, the first Woolworths was opened in Utica, New York in 1898. It is said that Frank W. Woolworth conceived the idea of his mercantile chain while working in Watertown in 1878. Woolworth, then employed as a clerk in Moore's store, set up a successful clearance display of low-priced items. This led to his idea of a store specializing in fixed-price, cut-rate merchandise. Go Mr. Woolworth. (laughs) And who knew out there knew about this red and black thing? I didn't know it was a thing, obviously. The Watertown Red and Black is a semi-professional American football team based in Watertown. The team is the oldest active semi-pro football team in the United States and can trace its history to 1896. Although the Professional Football Researchers Association claimed it was founded as an athletic club in 1899. Because of this, the team has the most wins, 565, losses, 268, ties, 43, and games played, 876, of any semi-professional team. Their overall win percentage is 67. Hmm. So, anyhow. Interesting. (laughs) They currently play in the Empire Football League with home games at the Alex Duffy Fairgrounds in Watertown. They have their own showcase in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as being the oldest semi-pro team in the nation. So, way to go, black and red and black. I was just going to say black and tan, because that's where my brain goes. Yeah, black and red is what, uh, instead of doing um, you do Guinness and like uh, Irish red or something, Killian's. Mm. Beer. What the heck? <laughs> we'll just turn it from football to beer. They go together. Sure. So, the historic Thompson Park is a large city-owned public park fe- featuring tennis courts, playgrounds, a public pool, picnic areas, large open fields, and hosts various sports and activities, an 18-hole golf course, hiking trails, and views of the city of Watertown and surrounding areas due to its high elevation. There was actually, I read through a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't include here, that when they were planning this town, um, the actual, the elevation changes of that area were were making it really difficult to try to figure out the planning. Hmm. So that's why they put the um, park where they did, because it was least obstructive to where they wanted to have all the merchandise and the mercantile stuff so it actually makes it very pretty pretty is always good i like pretty yep the park was designed by the firm of frederick law olmsted a prolific landscape architect during the considerably snowy winters in watertown the park offers many large hills for sledding as well as multiple cross-country skiing trails throughout the park and surrounding forests Each summer, Thompson Park also hosts a fireworks show and live symphony orchestra show on the 4th of July. Nice. So, nice place. Goofball. All right. So, 
James Pickett was the first person to be arrested in the murder investigation. He claimed that he met with Joseph Leone at their favorite hangout, the Red Moon Diner, where Leone told him that he was going to have Peter Egan killed to keep him quiet. His fear was that the Egans had enough dirt on all of them to put them into jail for a long time. James didn't believe that Joe meant it. Um, Mr. Pickett died on April 15th, 2013. Don't, I don't know why I put that right there, <laughs> but I did. So that's in my hey, notes. That's where you wanted to talk about it. Apparently. I guess so. Um, so Joseph R. Leone was arrested in 1968, but acquitted. Uh, he had a motive for the murder. On December 20th, a house in Waterton was broken into. It was the home of Anthony Leone, Joe's father. Anthony was quite prominent in Watertown, having been a welterweight and middleweight boxer, fighting under the name Kid Sullivan. A family heirloom, a diamond ring valued at several hundred dollars, was stolen along with $760 in cash. That's a decent chunk of money back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. The case uh, did bring famed defense attorney F. Lee Bailey, who is a witness for the people in support of lie detectors as evidence. So Leonie told Pickett this would be the ruse. A truck was known to be scheduled on New Year's Eve to be coming up Interstate 81 and would be exiting the uncompleted highway to a state road en route to the Thousand Islands bridges in Canada. The rig's cargo hold would be a shipment of liquor valued at up to $16,000. The Egans would be paid $1,000 to drive to the rest area where they would assist their trusted friend Pickett in hijacking the truck. Pickett would drive away in the truck. Peter and Gerald agreed to the deal. Gerald was living with his parents at the time. When New Year's Eve came around, Gerald tried to get out of going along with the heist, concerned that they were participating would violate the terms of probation since he was serving for disorderly conduct. You think? I, I think yeah, it would violate it. Just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> oh, bit. Sorry. Just like, oh, I thought it might violate my parole. You think? Uh, those who knew him thought whoever was in the backseat had to be someone Peter knew and trusted. He would not have let someone get the jump on him like that. On the day of the murder, the Egans did some big spending, several hundred dollars in cash um, merchandise at Century Wholesale Supply Company. And that whole idea that $760 went missing. Mm -hmm. I can see where Joe may have put two and two together. Right. Uh, the Egans went bowling and then to the Red Moon Diner. Barbara did not go to the diner with everyone. Showing up later with her kids, she picked up Gerald and Peter and went to her mother-in-law's house, Leona Egan, who was babysitting for the children that evening. Pickett claimed he had backed out of the murder, but believed Leone had a different partner, Willard Belcher. The suspects were, in fact, Pickett, Leone, Willard Belcher, and Bertha Belcher. Um, <laughs> Bertha's an interesting character. <laughs> she, uh, she was a madam for many years and a working prostitute at the age of 80. I really think they <laughs> had to mean that she was a madam at 80. Uh, but... I don't know. Well, when you know. they were actually talking about um, the wiretap, 
they they had many suitors of hers that were calling and professing their love to her so oh my word (laughs) i just i can't get over that part (laughs) i know um bertha was around 20 years older than her husband willard uh she was known as a mean lady and ran a house of ill repute that there we go again with the madam uh kind of cracks but hey you know she probably could still apply the trade just fine i mean back to betty white she did she still managed to be sexy and crazy in the 90s so yeah. um i i kind of cracked up at the whole ill re- the referring as right. ill repute because repute, repute. that's just it's so old-fashioned yeah um so the funeral for the three egans was held together and to much surprise there was an open casket and you know we just talked about like many head wounds there the head wounds coming out the eyeball and, and ears and yeah. yeah i don't know kind of kind Creepy. of an odd thing but it happened <laughs> So Ray Pollitt and Charlie Donahue were the um, detectives working on the case for many years. They had planted a bug in the home of the Belchers, but the bug did not give them what they wanted. The Belchers did not say enough to link them to the murders. They did, however, have a prostitution case against Bertha. As I stated before, <laughs> in this, they they were um, having hearing calls and apparently they were quite humorous <laughs> from her many suitors um joe leone's name came up frequently in their investigation joe was a popular guy many knew him because of his father he was living at the time with his girlfriend beth johnson uh he had been longtime friends with peter egan neighbors said that joe and beth had some pretty bad fights but not often I just love the blase about, you know, domestic violence back in the 60s. It was just, yeah. yeah, they fought a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But not that much. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, there was also a lot of comings and goings from their apartment. Hmm. So. trade, something. Yeah. They, I mean, we, we know they were, all of these people in this thing were involved in numerous. Illicit activities. Yes. Uh, Two years after the murder, William Belcher was convicted of attempting to receive stolen property. He was given a sentence of two and a half to three and a half years. Joe Leone and Bertha Belcher were arrested on the same day for the Egan murders. Sometimes it, it was sometime in 1966, but I couldn't find the exact date. Willard Belcher had an arrest warrant served. However, he had been committed to a state hospital for the criminally insane. So he was... Pretty much not put in trial for that. In 1970, this case actually proceeded in the Jefferson County Court. Only Joe was the one to go on trial for the murders of the three Egans as determined earlier by a grand jury. Joe had been in prison since his arrest. So it was like 600 and some days, I believe, he was in prison. That's a long time. It was a very long time. Two years. Yeah. Um, Pickett testified. We had talked a little bit earlier about Pickett. He he was one of the main testifiers against Leone. Uh, the defense argued that there was a lack of ed- evidence to corroborate the ev- 
testimony against Leone. Joe Leone's girlfriend, Beth, testified that Joe had gotten home around 7 p.m. the night of the murders and had been with her the entire night. Joe Leone was found not guilty of the murders. So basically, this is still kind of unsolved. Right. However, so as so as I said, it was it's technically unsolved. Um, people who talk about the case do believe that Joe Leone was the one who who orchestrated possibly, it at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and William or Willard and Bertha were involved. The other interesting thing about the case. And I didn't go into a lot of it because it's really, really long. And I didn't really feel like, I don't know, it gave all that much into it. Was that um, in this case, there was a big thing about the polygraph. Um, right. So remember, we mentioned F. Lee Bailey. Yes. He testified as a lie detector expert in the case. So that's why this is such a big deal is all centered around the fact that they used the lie detector. Not that they used it and it was actually successful. Right. And they actually didn't allow that testimony to be used. But there was a big ordeal over should it be allowed. And so there was like experts and it was a very I, I read a very long thing in the actual court case about yeah, it because basically from case law perspective mm-hmm. it was a big deal right all of the back and forth and it set a lot of precedent for how we use the polygraph right so it it was interesting but at the same time i don't know that you guys would have wanted to listen to about 10 minutes <laughs> of talking about nothing but a polygraph it just well and it's so dry it is it's very very dry we, we've done this a couple times with several of the when we're reading through case files it's like lots of words lots of words this is what they mean right because it just gets you get so bogged down in the words and because it's uh you know, litigious speak, it's Yeah. And once I... Some people love it. I'm not very good at it. Sorry, guys. Sorry, my cousins. (laughs) And another thing I would would like to just kind of say about this whole case is uh, the book that I read, um, and I will uh, make sure to put that link out with the... uh, to where you can find it on Amazon if you're interested in reading it. Um, I mean, it was a very interesting book. However... Um, it kind of jumped around a lot. So it was sometimes hard to follow because it would be like, you'd be talking about Pickett and then all of a sudden it's talking about the Belchers and it gives a lot of detail about like the Belchers and the lives that they led up until the point of the murders. Well, I I was kind of looking not to talk so much about. Right. Just basically say they had a lot of illicit activity. Yeah. I don't need to sit there and give you, you know, all the play by play of yeah, their the details house of their of lives. Ill repute. Yeah. <laughs> it it it's um it is interesting as we do some of this research, you know, I mean, you can really go down the rabbit hole with some of this stuff oh, yeah. and you know, trying to pick and choose which things to talk about. Yeah. Because if it's not obvious, we totally can talk about this well over an hour. Yeah. 
we have yeah. we have gone over an hour on a couple of our podcasts so far but mainly because we sit here and yammer about stuff yeah <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting because we were talking about this when we were doing our research the two of us and it's like yeah she was the one who had the book so mm-hmm. I went and did some of the looking into just little bits and pieces and like trying to look into F. Lee Bailey a little bit and then again you just end up getting into more personal stuff right we can talk about you know oh hey if we wanted to we could talk a little more about he's well known because Sam Shepard as you might mm-hmm. think know the movie the fugitive that's uh he was actually um his lawyer albert DeSalvo, who has is one of the people that's determined to potentially be the boston strangler mm-hmm. um patty hurst and oj simpson so really high profile person as well who obviously had a lot of information on the polygraph um so it's just interesting there yeah. definitely there's a lot of interesting little factoids we could go on and on about how long um you know when certain people died right um yeah it's just weird (laughs) yeah and while we definitely enjoy going into some of the details at the same time you kind of sit there and go when do you stop (laughs) yeah and are you even going to be interested in some of this stuff because it really does i mean like the polygraph thing was extremely dry yeah it's interesting but it's dry and it's kind of hard to talk about all of that so but if you're interested I will make sure and I um I will put the links so that you can see go and look at that information um (laughs) I've got a dog that wants to be on my lap hi buddy but that is really our episode for today. Yeah. Um, and we... that's, I mean, the book might be for some of you, like I've actually, we were talking, uh, there's at least one book that I really liked other books by the author, mm-hmm. but that whole going back and forth and this one, they were going back and forth in time and telling little snippets of mm-hmm. their history. And while intriguing, I got, I, I just put the book down. Yeah. It just wasn't for me. And that happens. And I did have a hard time getting through it just because of that jumping around. It it, it made it difficult to kind of follow some of it just because it would be like you're talking about one person then all of a sudden they're talking about somebody completely different but for all you know you could have read that same book a year or two before and it would have been just fine right so it's a a stylistic thing and sometimes it's a yes sometimes it's a no but again, we'll, we'll, we'll provide those links and you're, you know, if it's something that interests you, if the case interests you, feel free to uh, read more. Um, so next we have a uh, listener tale that oh, we're yes. going to be uh, talking about on our next episode. So Ooh. kind of excited to do that one. Um, and if you uh, want to become a Patreon for us, it is HTTPS. Uh, well, you guys know all that. So <laughs> I don't like, know why I'm look saying at Patreon. that Patreon.com slash nothing happens in a small, small town. town. Instagram is nothing, nothing happens, happens in a small town. town. Twitter is nothing, nothing happens in a small town. town at N-H-I-A-S-T. Facebook page is nothing, nothing happens in a small town, town or at N A not at the letters. The letters. H I A S T twenty twenty one. And our Gmail is nothing happens in a small town at gmail.com. 
Imagine that. So thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk. You should uh, be hearing another episode from us soon. And like <laughs> we said, we will try not to speak of any beloved people. Yes. Sorry. That haven't passed away yet. We can only talk about dead people. Yeah. Because apparently, yeah, that was bad on our part. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I did not kill Belly, Betty White. I promise. Yeah. I swear. We just wanted somebody to preserve her. We love her. <laughs> She's so cool. Yeah. Very sad about that. But, you know, that's, uh, we love her. So. Go and watch some old watch stuff with her as I, I was just yeah. when we were setting up i was talking about i know i can ramble i'm sorry but i have not watched hot in cleveland i have watched either. a bunch of clips from it and i'm like holy crap why have i never watched this mm-hmm. show i do believe i will have to uh watch that of course it has another dearly departed carl reiner is in it among other people yep so we have some some watching us stuff to do and uh yeah. We will uh, maybe that'll be tomorrow if we get the snow they're talking about. True, true. And uh, if you all are getting some of the snow, we hope you survive it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's been some interesting weather across the country. Yes, have a great day, y'all. Bye.